Hey everybody, we just wanted to get an idea of what people think about God, so we're out in our city and we're gonna see what they say. What do you think that God is like? I don't think it's a gender conforming thing. Okay. Um, it's a powerful force. I believe it's a form of energy of the universe and the good things that we do, that is God. God is everything. He's total for me. I don't know, probably it's big. Yeah, and smart. What do you think God thinks about you? Uh, I think God thinks I'm like an average human being. He just sees everyone the same. So I guess like I fit into his like, oh, you're fine in my eyes. I don't think God spends time thinking about me. What do you think God thinks about you? Um, I think that he respects everyone, including myself, and is forgiving of my sins, I guess. I think he thinks I'm so important and I am always amazed at how he can look at so many people in the world and know them individually and care about what's happening to them on a minute level. He or she's kind of above thought, so I, I really can't say, because if he created us, then you know, he must love us regardless. What do you think God is like? I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about God. God is a powerful white light that is uncomprehensible. Uh, I couldn't answer that one in 10 seconds, man. God is love. That's it. It's concise. Yeah. Hey, do you guys have a second? All right. <laughs> what do you think God is like? I think God is a big cloud of gas. It's great. Uh, very generous for all the people, or for whole humanity. What do you think that God is like? He's a very kind person. He's a person who accepts everyone for who they are. Well, I would say like me, but in a good way. Since I'm created in his image, I like to think that he understands my feelings, the good things that happen, the bad things that happen. So I, I resonate with God. All right, good morning, everybody. I like, to, I like to think I resonate with God. Some really, <laughs> some really interesting answers to a pretty big question, possibly the most important question that you could ever be asked, and answer, what is God like? What is, it, what is this being really like? Uh, who is God? One of my favorite Christian authors and pastors of all time, can back to the 1950s, A.W. Tozer. I feel like if your name is like initials, you're like really smart, like C.S. Lewis, A.W., you know, whatever. But he writes this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Might just seem kind of like a big, overwhelming, abstract question this morning, but it, it really is important because here's the thing. What we think about God matters because our beliefs determine our behavior. Our beliefs determine our behavior. They determine our purpose. If there is a higher being and if you indeed can have a relationship with him, all of a sudden life matters. We're not just putting in our time to get to the weekend to have as much fun and joy as we possibly can until the world ends someday. And according to somebody, it's supposed to be like next week, right, or something. So get ready uh, for that. Um, but we don't know. We don't know when that's going to happen. And so we want to live with purpose and meaning and joy. And depending on what you believe God to be or who he is will determine if you, whether you have real peace and real joy and real hope in your life or not. And so my prayer is as we get to the end of the message today that if any of you was interviewed and you were asked that question, that you would not be like that poor lady that just stood there kind of like paralyzed, not knowing what 
to say. My hope is that you would maybe not, we're not going to understand God in the next 30 minutes here, but that you would at least have something to say. And we're going to come at that answer from a little bit different angle here this morning. We've been in this series at all of our campuses at Hope called Here We Stand. Everybody say, Here We Stand. And we've been looking at the foundations of what it means to be Lutheran. Uh, to, to, to what, what's the Lutheran, Lutheran Church of Hope and kind of a, some of our history and the fundamentals of what it means to be Lutheran, which, by the way, is uh, 80% of you are not Lutheran. So that's not our goal is to try to make you Lutheran. We want to get you connected with Jesus. But it's important that we understand that we preach and teach from a Lutheran theology, from a Lutheran perspective. And one of the foundations of what it means to be Lutheran, may surprise you, is this belief, is this understanding that every single person has access to God, can have a relationship with God and know him personally. Not just some people, not just popes and not just priests, but every single person has the same access to God. I have to share this with you. It's kind of funny. And if any of you have ever said this, I'm not making fun of you. It's just hilarious. I'm laughing with you. But because we're 80% not Lutheran here at Hope and we're a pretty diverse church and that's a good thing, we like that. Uh, in fact, one of the, the biggest groups that make up people, their church background is no church background. And so we love that about Hope. That's why we're here. And at the same time, a lot of you have come from backgrounds where there was a different understanding of who had access to God of who could know what God is like. And so from time to time, there's been people that have come up to me and said, oh, oh yeah, sir, um, uh, father, can I ask you a question? They'll call me father. I'm just like, what, who are you talking about? You know, like that. And then, and then they'll say something to the effect of this. They'll say, hey, you know, uh, reverend, father, sir, whatever your name is, you know, just don't call me late for dinner. Uh, they say, hey, I've got this thing going on in my life. And they share this, share this prayer request. And they say, hey, could you put in a good word for me with, with the man upstairs? And I go, who's up in the loft? What? Who's the man upstairs? Some of you will get that on the way home, right? You have the same access to God that I do, right? I, I, I don't have some access to him. And if you came from that background, that, that's fine. But as Lutherans, we believe that every single one of you has the same access to God that Mother Teresa, that Billy Graham, that the Pope has that I have. Every single one of you can have a personal relationship with God. And in fact, Martin Luther, one of his passions, the founder, the catalyst of this Lutheran denomination, this movement, believed so strongly in this that he spent a good chunk of his life translating the Bible into German, into the language of the ordinary common person, so that they could read the Bible and experience God for themselves. Can you imagine being able to read the Bible for the very first time? I know for some of you, it kind of maybe feels like a drag, and you're like, ah, I don't really need my Bible. He's going to put it up on the screen anyway, and I got one at home. It's on a shelf somewhere, but man, can you imagine being able to read about God for yourself for the very first time, going, wow, and then coming to the understanding that I can know him and he wants to have a relationship with me. I mean, that would just blow your mind. And so that was one of Luther's passions, that we could start by knowing him personally ourselves. And so my question is what the opening video asked. If you were walking around downtown and somebody put a microphone in your face and said, describe God, <laughs> what would you say? What, what is God like? If you had to say, what, what does he look like? When you think of God, what images come to mind? What does he look like? There was a little boy that was drawing some pictures in school, and he was actually drawing a picture of God. And the teacher came up to him, and he said to the little boy, you know, what are you doing? And kind of laughing to herself a little bit, the, the child said, I'm drawing a picture of God. <laughs> and the teacher said, well, what do you mean? I mean, you can kind of laughing. You can't draw a picture of God. Nobody knows what God looks like. And the child responded, well, they will in a minute. 
So what exactly is God like? What, what, is, what is he like? And that answer to that question is immensely important because our image of God will determine how we relate to him. Whatever you have in your head and your understanding about God is to determine how you relate to him. If you picture God as angry, well, then you're going to spend a lot of your Christian, even for Christians that believe these things, you're going to spend a lot of your life in fear or thinking that somehow you have to constantly please God by being a good enough person. Some of you live that way. And that's a skewed picture of who God is. If you believe that God is some sort of like absentee professor, the really smart guy that like set the world in motion and then stepped back and said, you know, good luck, good luck, everybody, you know, good luck with those hurricanes and everything, you know, here you go, right? Then we'll somehow think that God is absent or uncaring or has nothing to do with what you might be going through today. If God is boring, then there's plenty of other things to do with your time than come to worship every single week. I mean, if God's really not that exciting, then why would you be here? Or if God is simply a, an idea or a concept, then, well, we might as well just sit around the Thanksgiving table and have theological debates with our friends and family and argue about who God is and, and all of that on Facebook. And really, we all get to decide what we want God to be like because of our own personal preferences, because after all, he's just kind of an idea floating out there in space or a big white smoke or gas or whatever that one guy said in the video, right? And this was such an important question that long ago in the early church, the early church fathers, as they were called, thought that this was an important enough question that after Jesus rose from the dead, and so we know we have God the Father, and then we had Jesus, and he actually lived among them, and then Jesus sent this Holy Spirit, which came into people's hearts like, and came through like tongues of fire and started the church, and all of a sudden we have God, and we have Jesus, and then we have the Holy Spirit, and they were trying to make sense of this all, especially for new believers to understand how that we can have one God, yet he's in three different persons. And if you can understand that and get that figured out, then you're smarter than every theologian that's ever lived. So we're going to attempt to do that this morning. But essentially it was the goal is to help people understand the Christian faith and set it apart, because there was false gospels and false teachers that were out there that were trying to skew the truth. And so they would write these things called creeds. Everybody say creed. And a creed is essentially a statement of belief of this is what we believe as a church. And if you believe something that's not this, then you're not really a part of Christianity. And so they had to define the boundaries. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And so they got together and one of the creeds is the Apostles' Creed that was written and kind of started circulating around the church in about 390 AD. That was a long time ago. That was even before the first iPhone came out. So keep that in mind. So this has been around for a long time. And it's pretty cool that people just like you sitting in church buildings all over the world have been saying this exact same thing. And so it should look very familiar because every time we do a baptism uh, here at Hope Des Moines, which is a lot, we do a lot of baptisms because we have a lot of kids, which is great, uh, that we say this about this is what we believe, this is what we believe God to be. So let's read it nice and loud together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So really, that is a summary of the Bible. It's a summary of what it means to be a Christian. As you can see, it's broken up into those three parts. It's God the Father, 
first part of the Trinity, as we refer to it. The second part is about Jesus the Son, and the third part is about the Holy Spirit, and then the beginning of the church. Now, three lines up. Some of you are like, I don't care about any of that. What's up with this Catholic thing in the middle of our Lutheran creed, right? What is this, some sort of bait and switch thing you got going on here, right? The, the, the holy Catholic church, like, are you trying to make us all Catholics or something? No, it is important to know that if that was a big C, a capital C, some of you are like, your, your mind's going to be blown because you think that you've been Catholic your whole life or something. The big C Catholic would be like a specific Catholic church or the Roman Catholic church or St. Francis Catholic Church here in town or whatever it is. That's the big C. The small C Catholic, not to be mistaken, simply just is another word for the total, the whole Christian church. Okay, so some creeds, modern creeds, have translated that to the Holy Christian Church. It just means we're all on the same team with the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians and the non-denominationals. If we believe that, we're on the same team. So one Holy Christian Church. So no, we are not trying to make you Catholic, which would not be a bad thing. I love my Catholic friends, uh, but that's not what we're trying to do here. And yet, even if you would describe to somebody that, okay, describe God. Well, he's God the Father, he's Jesus, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit, that still doesn't quite make sense and leads us to come to maybe some misunderstanding. So in the next slide here, if you weren't a Christian and, and you didn't understand anything at all, this is maybe what you would think of, of the Trinity. So over here, we've got God the Father, who is just this angry man up in heaven, ready to punch you if you sin or something. I don't know what's going on there. And then you've got Jesus over here, one of my favorite pictures of Jesus, of course. I call this the not amused Jesus, uh, with no personality uh, whatsoever. And he's like, Really? Seriously? Stop swearing in traffic. Really? That's Jesus right there. That's, that's what he's saying. And then, what's the, with the Holy Spirit? I don't know, for those of you that did grow up in the Lutheran church, how many of you heard tons of sermons about the Holy Spirit? Anybody? Okay, one of you, that, that is great. You were in a privileged Lutheran church because for most Lutherans, they can go their whole life and go, holy who? Right? And then you, think, you hear holy ghost? Is this white smoke? or What is this Holy Spirit thing? Clearly we need the Ghostbusters to, to do something with the Holy Spirit because we don't really know what that is. And yet we know from the creed that we have these three persons that make up God and yet there's still one. And yet theologians have been working on that for years and they simply say, when they don't understand it, they say it's a mystery. And it's not a cop-out, it's saying... He's God and we're not. And if we really understood how three persons could be one God, then you would be God and that would be bad and that would be scary. So there's some things we will never understand. But a wise mentor once told me, when you don't know what to do, not just with the Trinity, but with anything in life, when you don't know what to do, do what you know how to do. When you don't know what to do, take one step and do what you know how to do. So if somebody asked me, Pastor John, describe the Trinity, what would that B, this is what we do know. This is what Scripture does tell us. What is Scripture clear on? Number one, if I had to describe God, I would say God is three persons. Everybody say person. person. And that is very, very important. Scripture talks about God over and over again as persons, as plural pronouns. Think back to the beginning of Genesis. God says, let us make humans in our image, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not my image, but our image. Isaiah chapter 6, who will go for us as God is sending Isaiah. God is plural, and that's very, very important. And some of you think, well, wait a minute, our image was, I thought just God was the creator, and where Jesus and Holy Spirit, they, they were more New Testament gods or came in later on. Don't forget that all three were present at creation. You know, God's there creating, but in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the 
word, and Jesus is the word, and the word was with God in the beginning. Okay, so you've got Genesis 1, you've got John 1, Jesus was there, clearly, but what about the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that at the beginning, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and so you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there from the beginning. They are persons, which is really important to remember that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not white smoke. They're not just an idea or a concept. They're not just magical spirits. And that's important because if they're a person, you can have a relationship with them. I don't have a relationship with smoke or white fog or an idea or magic. You are capable of knowing a person and they have a personality. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are persons and at the same time, they are distinct persons. It's not like they're just this blob that exists together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Persons And we see them operating sometimes together and sometimes individually, but together, specifically in Matthew chapter 3. Remember when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan and he comes up out of the water. So Jesus is there, the Son. It says that the heavens opened up and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So you have God the Father. And then it says, and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. And so you have the Holy Spirit. So they're all three there together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all spoken of individually. But it's also important to know that just because they're individuals doesn't mean that any, there's a hierarchy. It's like, well, God, he created everything, so he's kind of the God. And then there's like Jesus. He's just like the little tag-along son. And then the Holy Spirit, he's like, you know, junior varsity God or something like that. No, 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 no. They're all uniquely, individually God. And yet when you hear three distinct persons, don't think three gods. Some people get tripped up on that. Oh, so we have like three gods as Christians. No, 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 no. Read it again. We have one God in three persons. We're not polytheistic as a lot of the other countries were. Poly meaning multiple, so multiple gods. Christianity is a monotheistic religion where there is one God in three persons. Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody say one. And it's really important. It's a crucial understanding about God, but we can't stop there. Because here's the reality. We can know all the theology and we can know all the truth and go to all the Bible studies and have the, the, the you know, degrees and seminary degrees. You could have a doctorate in theology and know everything there is to know about the Trinity and everything there is to know about God and have your heart be ice cold on the inside and not know him personally. You could know all the academic intellectual knowledge about God and yet not really know him. I'm guessing that when we read the Apostles' Creed before, nobody, I, nobody stood up and said, Hallelujah! I love the Apostles' Creed! Woo! God! Woo! Trinity! Nobody did that. Nobody got all fired up. I didn't see any tears of emotion when we talked about the Trinity, right? It's good to know that. And yet at the same time, I'm guessing if we went around the room and I had all of you tell stories about how you've encountered God, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit personally, there might be some tears, good tears. There might be some emotion when the Father was there for you and he was there as a father or when you could relate to Jesus or when you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit with you in one of your most difficult times. We can know God personally. It matters that he's three persons because persons have a personality. We talked about this in Alpha last week. By the way, a little plug for Alpha. You can still join us tonight. We're just getting started. So come on down at 5.30, and we're going to go deeper with some of these things. You can know about somebody but never experience their personality. I can know somebody up here, but it's another thing to experience 
them. And so why would it be any different with God? If God is stripped of his personality, of the essence of who he is, and he's just an idea or he's just a being, but he has no personality, it ceases to be what it is. It ceases to be who they are. And that's a pretty big concept to think of a God with whether he has a personality. So let's break it down with a different analogy, something we can understand with a song, with music, for example. So Let's say that, you know, you've been sitting there in the dentist's office or the, the, the doctor's office or you're in an elevator or something like that, and all of a sudden you hear a song. And clearly it, it's, it's memorable to you. Like, I've heard that song somewhere, but it's, it's not quite what it is. It's the song, but not really. Like the elevator companies have gotten a hold of it, and it's just kind of been stripped of some of what it is, and it's just not the same. And, and so just as an example, I was just thinking of the most godly, biblical, good, wholesome family Christian song I could think of just off the top of my head as I was finishing this yesterday. And you know, I just kind of thought of, oh, I don't know, Guns N' Roses, let's say. Sweet Child of Mine. So let's say that all of a sudden you just hear this song, and it's one of your favorite songs. Let's go ahead and hear Sweet Child of Mine. There we go. Okay. Yes. There we go. Turn it up a little bit. There we go. You want to stand up and just rock, you can. You can absolutely do that. There we go. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's move it ahead, like, a minute. Let's move it ahead. Yeah. Okay, we can go on. We can go on. Okay, good. Some of you are like, I just found my church home. This is amazing. You're not going to get that everywhere, I guarantee it, right? Just so, just family disclaimer, I do, uh, this is not my endorsement of Guns N' Roses, nor anything that they stand for, nor any lyric that has ever been coming out of their mouths. But it's a great song, and I love it. So with that in your head, okay, that's it. That's the song. That's the meat of it, and that's the guts of it. Now imagine you're sitting in the dentist office, and over the loudspeaker, you hear this. if it gets better. Move, move, move it along. There. Oh, this is painful. Let's make it stop. Make it, make it, make it. So you get the idea. Wow. What happened to the song? It's still a song. It's still this sweet child of mine, but that's a nursery rhyme. Do you know that you can search on iTunes nursery rhymes that are made out of classic uh, rock songs from the 80s, right? Like, like, parents, I know it's Sweet Child of Mine, but that's just wrong. They just ruined it. It's, it's not what it is. It's a song, but it's really not. It completely lacks personality. And when you strip the personality out of something, you lose it. You lose its very essence. Personality is what draws us to people. It's the sum of their character. It's why th those of you that are married, that got married to the person you did, because you love their personality. And if you stripped all of that away, they would just be blah. And we would all be the same, and life wouldn't be exciting. And yet, we do that with God. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, God, I give you thanks. Woo, I worship you. I pray to you. But do you really stop and think, who is it that you are worshiping? Who is it that you are praying to? And that's the danger is when we strip God of his personality. And so I wonder, have you ever stopped and wondered, what's God really like? What is his personality really like? And those of you that have been around church for a long time will say, God is strong. And God is faithful. And God is loving. And yes, he absolutely is. Don't hear me wrong. 
But when's the last time you read the Gospels or you just read the Bible and you came to the conclusion that God is insanely adventurous, that he's wild, that he's free? When's the last time you read the Gospels and just said, Jesus, this guy's hilarious. Everywhere he goes, he's like the life of the party. Like, where did we lose this along the way? Where did we lose the personality of Jesus? It's all right there in your Bibles if you will just read it. The Bible was not written to be an old book that collects dust on your shelf. The Bible was written by the people that wrote it because they've experienced God personally or they walked with him in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And they wrote it so that you would be captivated by the personality of God. I love how John puts it in 1 John chapter 1. This is the message version by Eugene Peterson. I love how he says it. And John is speaking from those disciples that literally walked with Jesus. They lived with him and experienced him, and they wrote this. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And get this, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy him The Bible was written so that you could know God's personality, that you could know his heart, that you could know his character and know what he's like. And so of the thousands of attributes we could talk about this morning, we don't have time, but I want to talk about a few, highlight a few that maybe you haven't thought of in a while to introduce you to a God that's maybe been buried under the clutter of your assumptions. And so the first one I want to highlight, would you believe that God is a playful God? Remember that Jesus is fully God, and when you think about Jesus' life, for example, a lot of us think like, oh, Jesus was this really serious guy. You know, I got a mission and the death and the resurrection. And when you read these passages in the Bible, you read them as if Jesus has no personality. He's like, no personality Jesus up there. And he's he's like the guy at the farmer's market with the blowhorn standing up on his crate saying, oh, for God so loved the world that he gave you me that if you believe in him, then you won't go to hell. You know, turn or burn. And Jesus is like super, really just kind of angry, like serious person. And yes, the death and the resurrection. But don't forget that Jesus was just a regular guy for the first 30 years of his life. If Jesus is God and God created joy and joy leads to laughter, then God created laughter. God created fun. God created giggling and laughing like belly laughs. When's the last time you belly laughed? That's a very holy thing because you're living out the image of God, right? That's why we like to laugh a lot at worship. It's how we were created. Don't forget that Jesus was an ordinary guy that you could just run into on the street. And and I don't know exactly what he was like, but we know Jesus was a carpenter. And so there's this kind of seldom forgotten about, uh, uh, often forgotten about scene in the Passion of the Christ movie where this is before Jesus begins his ministry. He's just hanging out. He's a carpenter. And he builds things. And he has a mom. And he tells jokes. Watch this next scene and ask yourself, is this the God that I know? Is that the God that you know? The one that's a jokester and that's splashing water around. And it also brings me great comfort to know that Jesus was hungry sometimes, you know, and he just needed a brat or a hot dog or something like that. You know, like he was fully human. He was like us, the kind of guy that I think, I don't know, that you could hang out with on a Friday night, which is not this guy over here on the left. Which Jesus do you know? What image of God are you relating to 
these days? What type of God do you sing to? Does the God that you know laugh with joy? Jesus spent a lot of time with 12 disciples, and this was before iPhones and iPads and satellite TV, and they had nothing to do, so at night they're sitting around the campfire. I'm guessing they told a lot of stories. Everything was oral in that culture, and so they would just tell stories and joke, and I have to believe that Jesus was the greatest jokester of all. Hey, Peter, remember that one time when I called you out on the water and you actually thought you could do it, and you're walking, and then you did, and you took your eyes off me, and then you fell down, and you were like, help, Jesus, and then I helped you, and all the disciples are just rolling on the floor laughing like... I have to believe that's what happened. We don't get all that in the Bible, but I have to believe that's the Jesus that we have. And yet for many of us, we can go our entire adult Christian lives thinking that Jesus is stuffy and stuck up and boring and overly religious. It's that guy, not the Jesus that's in the Gospels. And the fact that Jesus is playful should not surprise us because he's God after all. And if you take that theme way back to the beginning in creation, you can learn a lot about somebody by the art that they create. We have a tons of talented artists here at Hope Des Moines. We have this new creative team that's been started, and there's people helping out and creating our, our sets and videos and photography and designs and all these things. And I can look at something and say, oh, that gives me a glimpse into your personality, okay? <laughs> have you been to a zoo recently, right? God created all these creatures. It was his idea. And have you looked at animals recently, right? Like, for example, have you looked at an emu recently, right? Somebody created that. Like, was God having a bad day? Or he's like, I'm going to create an animal that looks like you on Monday morning at work. You know, like, bah! You know? God has a sense of humor. God is an amazing artist. And you think about when he was creating the world in his hands, he's thinking, I'm going to create mountains and, and, and prairies and rivers and oceans that just be magnificent. I'm going to create this thing called a sunset. That the every, end of every day, I just, the people that I love and create, I just want to give them something that as they're watching the sun go down, they'll go, oh, and I'll take their breath away. And they'll go, there is a God, no matter how my day is gone. And the morning, I'm going to create this thing where the sun comes up. And I mean, I'll throw some different hues of colors in there. And just to remind them that I'm still God. And no matter what their day has in store, my mercies are new every morning. That's the God that we have, a wild and crazy and fun-loving God full of joy. Look at animals. Look at creation. Look at the world that God has made. And then you take that same personality of God and you apply it to Jesus. So when Jesus comes, he's here to reveal to us the personality of God. And where does Jesus, who does he spend most of his time with? <laughs> the riffraff. The sinners, the tax collectors, the, the murderers, the adulterers, the drunkards, the slanderers, all these people that nobody else wants to hang out with. And you think about that group of people, and I can imagine that they had some pretty wild and crazy gatherings, as the crowd tends to do, right? And so they're belly laughing over good food and telling loud stories over food and, and drinks, and Jesus hung out with these people. Most of his time was spent at dinner parties, and, and they wanted him to be there. It wasn't like, oh no! God's coming to the party. Put away the booze. Clean it up. You know, all that stuff. They actually invited him, and that got Jesus the nickname Friend of Sinners. Not the stuffy religious guy that tolerates and judges sinners. Friend of Sinners. And so there Jesus is hanging out, laughing along with them, and the Bible says, never telling them that what they're doing is okay. 
Jesus never comes along and just kind of becomes whatever the culture says, and well, because everybody else is doing it, it it must seem right. It, It seems the easiest to just do that. Jesus says, I've created certain laws and certain boundaries because I love you. And so there's Jesus, and I wonder if sometimes that the reputation that Jesus had wouldn't fit into a lot of our churches, or maybe we've created a church culture that Jesus wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable in. For it was Jesus' playfulness, among many other attributes, that must have made him something about his personality was irresistible to be around. That even people that didn't believe in God loved him. That he had this type of authentic personality, and you've met these people, that after just hanging out with them for a while, you have those people in your life you have to kind of be something for and put on a front and all this, and we, we think we have to be that way for church sometimes. Oh, I gotta go to church, and I gotta get my coffee so it's not awkward, and then, you know, kind of give somebody the Lutheran awkward nod and say, hey, I'm a Christian, are you a Christian? Yeah, everything's great, awesome. No, not everything's great in your life, and we put up these walls and these masks and these fronts, and then we go home or we go out to the bar on Saturday night, and we go, oh, Now I can just be real and hang loose and be myself. Actually, with Jesus, it was the exact opposite. When people were with him, they could go, oh, now I can just be me. And that's the effect that he had on people. Sometimes I imagine Jesus sitting with a crowd of outcasts, (laughs) all these sinners, looking around at these lost sheep in love. Is that the Jesus that you know? Is that the God that you know in his personality? Or is the God that you know the one that would be going around telling every single one of them what's wrong with them? With a finger of judgment and condemnation. Jesus never says your behavior is okay if you're living in sin. But he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to rescue you. So that no matter what your sin is today, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter the ways that you've fallen away and become disconnected from God, Jesus looks you in the eyes this morning and says, I have something much better for you. So stop running away. I have something so much better than, I'm, I'm leaving the 99 to find the one. Is that the Jesus you know, or is the God you know have his nose stuck up in judgment and condemnation? I mean, not to mention, think about Jesus' personality. He loved kids. And you've already heard our kids this morning. They're loud, and sometimes they have no self-control, and they're boisterous, and they're sticky and slimy and annoying sometimes. And yet Jesus loved them, loved them, kids, students. That's why we take our children's and student ministries so important here and so valuable This is who Jesus lifted up. Oh, that the personality and joy of Jesus would describe us as the church that would describe us as his followers. Yesterday was the uh, Beaverdale Parade we were telling you about, and we had a great turnout of folks that did that, and we were uh, throwing hot dogs, not throwing hot dogs at people, but to people, 1,760 hot dogs to be uh, exact. That's a lot of hot dog. And then we went home and grilled some hot dogs. No, we didn't. Uh, But we were hanging out, and uh, it was so much fun. It was so great. I went up and handed three suckers to this girl. Three suckers. And she looked at me and goes, Aw, and I go, what? And she goes, I wanted a hope dog. 
We have a reputation, I guess. But even before we left the parking lot, this lady from one of the other floats came over, and we're like grilling hot dogs in the back of the truck and everything like that. This lady comes over, and she says, oh, she's just beside herself. She's like, oh, I just think this is so wonderful. You all look like you're having so much fun, and you have so much joy, and, and where are you from? And I said, well, we're from Hope Des Moines. She said, and you're a church? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are. And I just, oh, her mind was just blown that we were laughing so much and having so much fun and so much joy. And, and I think it's just sad that we've strayed so far that in our culture it's a shock when Christians can be normal and real and enjoyable to be around. What if the next time you were at a party where not everybody is behaving appropriately and there's some beverages at that party and some wild behavior at that party and some people that aren't Christians and you're hanging out and all of a sudden a whole bunch of Christians show up, what if the reaction from the whole party was, oh, good, the Christians are here? No? I'm guessing by your reaction that we have some work to do. What if it was, oh, good, the Christians are here? Because <sighs> now I can be myself. Now I don't need to get, I don't need all these drinks to feel good about myself and numb the pain and distract myself from what's really going on in my life. Oh, good, the Christians are here. That means that they're going to be in the kitchen cleaning up after everybody else has left because they just serve. It's what they do. Oh, good, the Christians are here because I need a friend. I just need somebody to talk to and just relate to. Oh, I'm so glad that the followers of Jesus are here. Oh, I pray that our personality as a church would reflect the personality of our Jesus. Yes, Jesus was fun and laughter and joy and playful, but let us not forget that life wasn't always fun and games. Jesus knew there was a time to simply put his arm around you and be there. Not only did he laugh with us, but Jesus came to show us what God was like and walk in our shoes through the difficulties of life. When you hear that scripture, the word became flesh. Is that just a Bible verse for you? Or is that maybe the greatest news that we could ever hear? That the God of the universe has walked in your shoes. And whatever you're dealing with today. An unplanned pregnancy. Not being able to have a child. Financial struggles. Marriage struggles depression, whatever it is, whatever's going on, Jesus says, I got you. I, I know what it's like. I, I've, I've walked in your shoes. I know exactly what it's like. I've experienced everything that you'll ever experience in this life, and I'm never going to let you go because I poured my Holy Spirit into your heart. And so God's not just here with you at church. It's not a building, by the way. You are the church. The Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. And you can experience the same power and presence of Jesus wherever you go. And of all the characteristics of God, maybe the one that we need the most in the culture we live in is his presence. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm walking with you and I understand. I love what the writer of Hebrews says uh, in chapter 4. Let's read this together about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. It's going through some of my uh, kids' books, the thousands of unnecessary books that they have in their rooms that are all over the place that we'll never read. And buried underneath one of those stacks was this little gem, a book called Little Jesus, 
little me. Everybody get it out of the way. Everybody go, ah, that's cute, right? There you go. Okay, so there we are. And the purpose of this book, right, is so that our kids, little kids, will learn to relate to Jesus. And so every page, it's repetitive. And so we're comparing ourselves to when Jesus was a little kid. And so it says, you know, little Jesus, little me. So Jesus had a mommy, and then it says, just like me. It says, Jesus learned to walk just like me, right? Jesus had friends just like me, and it's cute, and it goes on and on and on, and that's great and everything. But here's where the book leaves off, and I think I'd like to write an adult version. Big Jesus, grown-up Jesus, grown-up adult me, and write things like this. Jesus often had really busy days where it would have been easy to feel overwhelmed, just like me. Jesus had close friends get sick and die, and so he wept, just like me. You're getting the picture now, right? Jesus had friends that gossiped about him and hurt him and betrayed him, just like me. And I said this one at our last service because of the crowd that we have because of the ministry that we do at our 915 service with many people that we picked up this morning that don't have a home. Jesus often went many days not knowing where he was going to lay his head because he didn't have a home or where he was going to get his next meal. And that was powerful to hear people say, just like me. If you have ever doubted that God feels your pain or your struggles or whatever you're going through, I would invite you to read the Gospels again. Read the Gospel of John this week. And I pray that if somebody sticks a microphone in your face and says, hey, describe God, (laughs) that maybe you would say, man, he's the most authentic person I know. He's so humble. He's so relatable. Is that the Jesus that you know? And maybe the best part of Jesus' character, of the the thousands of parts of his personality that we'll never have time to say this morning, the best part of his character is that he does not leave us stuck in our sin and our fear and our failures, is that we encounter a God, and there's no better word I could come up with this because it just hits it, that is a scandalous lover. Some of you are like, scandalous? That sounds crazy. Because grace is scandalous, because it doesn't make sense, because in the eyes of the world, we don't deserve that. Jesus is a scandalous lover. I want to illustrate by one final story, and this is where we'll land today, in John chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles or your phone apps, turn to John chapter 21. So Jesus has just come back from the dead. It's the very end of the gospel. Jesus has just gone to the grave and defeated sin and death and the power of hell. And so what does he do next? He goes to Disneyland, and then he goes to the disciples, and they are fishing, and Jesus has just come upon them, and they don't know it's Jesus yet. They've been fishing the whole night, and they haven't caught anything, and they're kind of down in the dumps, and Jesus, this random guy, comes up and says, hey, why don't you throw the, throw the net on the other side of the boat? And they do that, and they catch so much fish that the nets are overflowing, and in that moment, Peter, who's one of the fishermen, realizes that's Jesus, because he's done that miracle before when I first met him, and and all these fish, there's only one person that can tell the fish and the sea and the waves what to do, and that's Jesus. It's really him, and when he realizes that, it says this in verse 7 of John chapter 21. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, because he was fishing naked, I guess. So he jumped in the water, 
and he headed to shore. So think about this. God shows up, and, you know, Peter's like, I should look decent, so I'm going to throw on a towel or something. And then he, like, belly flops, I would imagine, over the boat and starts swimming at breakneck speed to Jesus. And you only do something like that if it's a person that you're desperate to be with. You don't do that unless this man has had some sort of powerful effect on you, and you, you're so excited to see him because, well, the last time you saw him, he was dead, and your life was over. And now here he is calling you out. And so God shows up, and it reminds me, Peter swimming to Jesus like this, like half naked or whatever, reminds me of another silly scene, and maybe this is what Peter looked like, something like Forrest, Forrest Gump. <laughs> That ending scene never gets old, right? And sometimes I wonder if the same thing happened to Peter, like Jesus is back from the dead and he jumps off his boat and it keeps going and then looks at Jesus and says, oh, sorry, God, Uh, Peter says, that's my boat, you know, or whatever, you know, and he's there. And then Peter says, but I don't care, Jesus, because you're back from the dead. You're alive. And they sit down and what does Jesus do? He cooks some breakfast because there's plenty of fish to go around. He cooks some breakfast. And I don't know about you guys, but there's two ways to view this person of God, this Jesus. One is, okay, I'll do my devotions, I'll do my God time, I'll do my Bible study. And another one is to imagine sitting around a campfire with Jesus after he's just kicked death to the curb. (laughs) And he's just asking you how your day is going. What do you need help with? What do you need? And I don't know about you, but when I, sometimes I just read the Bible, I'm just like, man, what people need most isn't a sermon. They don't need to hear from John. <laughs> I just want you to know this Jesus is so incredible that you can know personally. Personally. And you can talk to him anywhere, anytime. And the disciples are sitting around the fire with Jesus, and finally Jesus turns to Peter and looks at him with those eyes, you know those eyes that can see right through all of your junk, all your masks that you're wearing, and just see who you really are and what you're really thinking about today. And he just looks right at Peter. And the last time that Peter looked at Jesus' eyes, he said, I don't know you. Stabbed him in the back. Denied him three times. And so if if, if I'm Peter, I'm standing there, I imagine he's kind of shuffling his feet, he's got his hands in his pockets, you know. You know, so, Jesus, what do you want to talk about, you know? And kind of the elephant in the room. You betrayed me. You hurt me, Peter. You stabbed me in the back, and I have every right to be bitter and angry with you. If you're in that moment, what do you think God's going to say to you? If God was going to speak to you this morning, what would he say? Whatever you're going through. Jeez, would you just figure it out? Pull it together already. You need to be a better mom. Can't you you figure out this sin? Would you just get over that already? Just try a little harder. And if you hear that, I got really good news for you. That is not your father. That is not God. Instead, Jesus turns to Peter and he says one simple thing. Ask one question. Peter, do you love me? Three times. How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. How many times does Jesus ask if he loves him? Three times. It's a question of friendship and 
forgiveness. Do you love me? Well, then get back in the game because I have a plan and I have a purpose for your life. And it's scandalous love because Peter doesn't deserve it and we don't deserve it as well. But today you have it. This Jesus, this God, not the God of your assumptions, but the one that you can be with anytime, anywhere. Is the God that you know the one that you would just jump off and do a belly flop off the boat and swim to with everything that you've got? (laughs) This is the God that Luther wanted you to so desperately know when he translated the Bible. This is the God of the Apostles' Creed. This is the God that's underneath all of your bad experiences with church. That's underneath all the years of clutter and baggage and wounds when somebody hurt you or a Christian was mean to you and you had a bad experience and you kind of threw a baby out with the bathwater. Underneath all of that clutter is a God that loves you, that forgives you, is a God that's playful and fun and energetic and creative and authentic and real and is a scandalous lover who loves you right in the middle of your sin. And he wants to know you personally. Don't settle for the nursery rhyme when you can have guns and roses. Don't settle for your assumptions about God when you can read the Bible and know him personally. Get to know him. And so my challenge for you this week is to read Genesis 1 and 2. Ask yourself, what is the character of God? And then read the Gospel of John. It'll take you 45 minutes, most. And ask yourself, what is the personality of my Savior? I bet you'll fall in love with him. I bet you can't get enough of him. I bet you'll just start serving. I bet you'll just start signing up for Bible studies and groups and classes. I bet you'll come to worship every week because you'll say, I gotta hear more because it just keeps getting better and better and better. You can know this God who is your father who loves you so much. And so we're not just gonna talk about it today. We're gonna sing about it and we're gonna respond and we're gonna do a song that we've done before called Good, Good Father, which speaks to all the opinions and assumptions we have about God and then speaks to the truth and the reality of who he is. So let's stand together and let's sing of this God that we have.